have some questions. In Samadhi, Kaya Sankara unifies with Jitta Sankara. In that state, what does the Jitta feel like? And it can feel like quite a f- few things, but generally the the overall characteristic is one of uh, happiness. So uplifted. So Kaya Sankara, the body energy. We look in the Anapanasati Sutta, it deals with this simply but effectively, thoroughly thoroughly sensitive to the entire body, breathing in, breathing out. So learning to train oneself to keep expanding one's attention. Uh, So you pick up the sign of breathing, which is generally air, warm, pleasant, wherever that sign is occurring. And you keep expanding your attention over wider areas where you can detect it. So as you detect that energy also then, because what, you know, where the energy goes, the chitta goes. And where the chitta goes, you get uh, uh, consciousness establishes itself. Consciousness element um, amplifies everything. Consciousness builds up contact and feeling. So, so as that experience is known by the mind, consciousness knows it. That quality of the mind knowing it, kind of um, the consciousness quality, consciousness element, <laughs> strengthens contact. Contact is rise to perception and feeling. Okay. Now, we go through that again. So, for example, my eyes are kind of loosely trailing around, not looking at anything in particular. And then they look at that cushion. Well, you know, and then the consciousness lands on the, visual consciousness lands on the cushion, the blue. Blue becomes quite, I hardly noticed it before, now the blue becomes quite intense. Other people disappear. The cushion expands in terms of well, it's the same size, but my awareness of it amplifies uh, because the consciousness element established itself on that on that blue cushion. Right? So that suddenly becomes more dominant in my overall jitter experience. My awareness becomes more full of that. That makes sense to you. It happens all the time. You know, things we're just kind of scanning around. Oh, what's that? You know, <laughs> and <then> boom, <laughs> because the contact consciousness lands on it, and then the contact suddenly, or the perceptions, really nice blue, rich blue, lovely, luxurious. You know, whatever you want to make a blue, vibrant. Uh, so the perceptions arise, and sanya, and then the signs, you know, delightful blue. Okay, so <laughs> that's the example that just came to mind, so easy. So, you know, when we are, so when we are feeling sensitive in the body, it's kind of the body, 
and then settling into it, feeling the breathing, chitta experiencing breathing, and then the consciousness picking up. Oh, well, you're there. Uh, so that intensifies it, not because you're pushing it or getting more intense, just the fact of being conscious establishes a stronger perception and a feeling in the jitta. Oh, yeah, that's really goes into it more fully, agreeable. Okay, so as it does so, you know, the energy of the chitta is imparted. You know, see the energy of the chitta transmits into into the, the subtle body. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So the en- the jitter energy is starts to suffuse that 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 aspect of the body. I'm not talking nec- anatomically, but in terms of its nervous energy, it brightens up. So the body energy begins to kind of brighten around that. Uh, and then again, the same process keeps occurring. You get this feedback between the body, the kaya, the kaya sankara, and the chitta sankara. Chitta sankara is that sense of chitta energy, getting interested, getting happy. So as the two begin to attract each other and amplify each other, then in line with that process and you know, in tandem with that, maybe, you know, first of all, we begin to deliberately put aside, um, you know, thoughts and impressions to do with hindrances as best we can, irritability, annoying things, but still you can have these still residues, uh, the residues of ill will and, and sense desire and so forth still linger, and they may be a kind of slightly dull state or irritable state or not very willing, kind of slightly grumpy, and your body energy also is, is kind of is is um, contaminated with these these residues. You know? So, you know, uh, senses I senses I in flames. So we, we're not necessarily steaming with passion, but still there's a certain tendency that remains. You know, and same with ill will. We feel irritable and then we feel a little bit negative or kind of, uh, why bother? It's kind of like down or or dull because, the, you know, we're not completely sleepy but the system feels kind of stagnant. <laughs> so these uh, residues of the hindrances which maybe don't even have particular mental topics anymore, they're just kind of residues perhaps will give rise to mental topics. As the body energy brightens, it begins to come out, those defilements sort of evaporate. It's like kind of slime. As you warm the body up, the kind of sliminess or the dullness or stagnation starts to evaporate from it, so the body feels pretty nice. Uh, Body energy feels quite nice. 
Now, if you're going into that more fully, then even the kind of twinges and discomforts in your, your knees or wherever, they sort of take a back seat. It can be still there, but somehow your, your chitta's not kind of being stabbed by them you know, or continually trying to poke around and make them change. Mm. Which is, again, it's a little bit testing to do that. Uh, but we've sensed, you know, if I kept doing that, in that there's still the element of ill will because nobody likes pain. So, <laughs> so you see that, that sense of, oh, it's stopping, oh, I can't get comfortable. Yeah, there's a bit of ill will there. You know, so we cleaning that out, just, okay, there's, there's that. And because of that, the emotional impact of discomfort doesn't arise or is subdued. So then, you know, so all this is process, process of the, uh, you know, the jitta, getting interested, feeling gladdened, body feeling more bright, cleaner, and that attracts more. So this kind of builds up to this. Uh, and and it's, it, it doesn't necessarily always come in some big breakthrough, but you get these phases where there's a feeling of, oh, this is like buoyant. Uh, and I liken it to, um, say, if you're lying on, on a beach and the water's coming in, First, you feel the water lapping your feet, touching your feet, and then maybe water comes in, your legs lift because <laughs> the water's come in and it actually lifts your feet. So the, this rising tide called rapture is something like a, a energy that lifts. Oh. And the jitta likes that very much, can get a bit excited and flustered, and then lose mindfulness. <laughs> so we go just trying to feel that in the body, and in areas in the body, or areas in what I call the subtle body, or the kaya sankara, lift, brightening, buoyant. And just to say, when I mean an area, I don't necessarily mean a physical area, I can even mean a phase, like the ending of the inhalation if it's really nice you know, or the ending of the exhalation if you're really really released and buoyant so it could be a point in the phase of the breathing or it could be an area in your body like your chest or your your eyes even so it, it's it's not really you know chitta doesn't really do location in that same sense yeah it could be a location in terms of time or space, or both. You know, when I feel the full inhalation coming into my eye, around my eyes, is this nice ah sense. Yeah. So it's rather like that, and over time, um, the, the the jitta begins to sense its own buoyancy, raptures of buoyant state uh, and it can shift like, like, like a ball on water sometimes it's really lifting and sometimes it's just kind of resting so it can bubbly or settling or sinking, swinging um, 
Uh, so then these, these two energy forms are kind of coming together. <coughs> and there's that transmission. So we don't have to do anything, just holding mindfulness of the whole thing. The rapture itself can be, <laughs> can be a problem, doesn't sound like it, but it can get exciting in the sense of the chitta gets a bit fizzy or even rocky, you know. So if that's the, sometimes people get really quite intense, you know, like really lit up <laughs> with it. Uh, the sensitivities as such. So then if that's the case, we rapture will come in waves it's almost an emotional sense and an embodied sense so if that's the case you contemplate just the way as the wave passes the downside of the wave so and extending your, your awareness backing off from the emotion of it from the heart aspect, just and returning more to the physical aspect, and it eases off into something called sukha or ease. So then, that's that's how they uh, come together, and once again, that, that being. Uh, having that mental aspect, that mind consciousness acknowledging this is this, this is that. Okay, just ease back now, giving more attention there, open around that, steady there, you know. So the mind consciousness then helps to supervise and guides sati, sati sampajana, sati sampajanya, to properly steward the experience. Sounds a little bit complicated perhaps. Um, just to mention that without Satisampajanya, then this whole thing can get rather giddy. Uh, and people you get rapture, people get really quite quite out of their heads. Um, not necessarily you know, meditation or this kind of meditation, but Bhakti, you know, devotional stuff can get pretty rapturous, and every swing in a way, bongos are playing or whatever, and there is yeah, la, 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 la. and then <laughs> so this is <laughs> well, there's no wisdom involved. But if you want advice on that, I would say, uh, you know, for some people, it's not it's not particularly that dramatic. It's more a uh, comfortable, cozy, light feeling. And that, that's better. You don't really want a lot of strong stuff happening. And the chitta feels comfortably settled. And the main thing is that the, the hindrances are cleaned out. That's the most important thing. Because, you know, feeling is feeling, and it's, feeling can be extremely exciting. We don't want that. But when feeling 
is is supported and conducive to a skillful state, then it's good. Yeah? What we want in a skillful state, we want to clear out these residues of negativity, worry, anxiety, dullness, passion, and so forth. So that's the purification effect. And uh, you know the piti sukha is a kind of sweet um, taste that comes with that. So, question, having associated wanting with a negative connotation, I have been habitually suppressing my wants, desires, until sometimes I find it hard to know what I want when it comes to important decisions. Is it okay to want but not to crave? How does one answer the question, what do you want in your life? Can wanting be a good barometer to determine which direction one should go in? Sometimes I think it is fear of making the wrong decision that makes it hard to admit what I want. Well, so desire does get a bad press, which is... um, when you consider it, it's, you know, we meditate because we have desire. We want to stop suffering. That's a pretty good desire, I think. Uh, we want to get ourselves out of the mess. That's a, quite a good desire. It's good. So in this sense, desire is a positive connotation. And it's one of the called idipadas. Those you may be familiar with the four idipadas, the paths to success. Chanda, uh, virya, energy, chitta, heart, put your heart. So you're motivated, you get a sense of purpose, your, your energy comes along with that. Chitta, put your heart into it. Yeah. And we monks are analyze, figure out, determine, what's, you know, learn. So those are called the idipadas. These are paths to success whether in the um, conventional world, you know, you're motivated to do a good job or to produce a work of art or help other people, you know, nurse someone, you put your your energy into it, put your heart into it, focus on it, and then figure out how to get this thing balanced Path to success, same with meditation, chanda. Mm. Tanha, so very much associated with purpose, uh, what I want to do, um, what I want to leave behind, what I want to get clear of, how can I bring forth something useful, good, supportive, what are we alive for? You know, we've got this period of who knows how many decades. Um, it's not just kind of stagnate or coast since we have this animated we're animated creatures we have, we're in the desire realm we're animated let's do something useful with it something that brings around well-being and eliminates suffering and that chanda is to be fanned encouraged learnt uh, when it goes wrong when it's 
trying too hard or with not backed up by energy, then uh, that's the way you learn. You can't not make mistakes. And it's and probably you know there's an element of craving kind of in it, but then then you can't start out pure. <laughs> you know, if we're 100 percent pure, there'd be no need to practice. So there's always a little bit of stickiness in it. I want you know, something good, or want want to get something in return, or want to become some you know some identity. But that's the way it goes, and. You know, we learn from the um, the residues of craving, which our one gets disappointed, never good enough. Never did, you know, that piece of art I did is not quite good enough. Or my job, I'm not as good as I could be. Or so then you, this is the, the disappointment that comes because the chanda is somewhat impure. But as I say, you can't start out pure. You start out impure <laughs> and recognize the, dis- <laughs> the, the errors or the discomfort that it brings, the, the strain and the suffering that it brings. And you say, okay, can you just filter that out? Till you, till it's as if you do things with a, with a sense of, without asking for any results, then that's, that's pretty pure. You just do it for the, because it's good heart. Results... You know, particularly in terms of the, the world in general, because once that chit, when that chanda leaves your heart, it's going to meet conditions, and they're not always supportive. To to to, they don't cooperate. You know, you can be doing all kinds of wonderful things, and people don't notice it, or it doesn't work. You know, trying to help somebody, they don't listen. So. You know, what can you do? So certainly that was the case for the Buddha. And he said, you maintain equanimity. Okay, that's that. We're not asking for results. We're asking for purity of of heart. And Chanda, um, as as you cultivate it, you know, you just give things your best shot. And, and do it steadily, and you get more. You know, you really you've got to be a bit of mindfulness and careful what you're doing, and notice. You learn. We monks, so you learn. Put your heart into it, you learn. Mm. Then it's interesting. It's an interesting process. And this clears out the stagnation or the meaninglessness that people could suffer from. It's all empty, Nisha Dukkanata, nobody here, nothing, all suffering, all stress, beats me, I don't know. So if you take those things as uh, in the wrong way, then you you can kind of eliminate your your chanda, you kind of, yeah. See, because you end up stagnant. What's the point of doing anything? Well, you know, but everything's going to change anyway. Things are unsatisfactory anyway. And that's true. But the quality of pure heart is not unsatisfactory. <laughs> the results 
could be not as good as one would like, but the purity of giving can be quite pure and steady. And as you refine, as you contemplate that, you recognize certain avenues of desire are more possible to realize fruition. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we can help other people to a, to a degree, which is great. Let's all try and do that. But you can't get inside somebody else and cure their pain. You can't get inside somebody else and fix their heads. You can't get in somebody else and stop them dying. You know, how far can you go? <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't mean it's useless, but you realize for what could, where chanda could be fulfilled is in the purification of the heart, where there's no grasping, no clinging. And then the chanda is fulfilled and it stops because there's nothing, it's achieved, it's done. So there's this. Where tanha is never fulfilled, you know. So be careful of ideologies, these ideological positions, such as, you know, wanting is bad. Um, or feeling is bad, or happiness is kind of ignoble. When one recognizes, you look in the, in the suttas and the accounts, one of the most obvious features was these people who practiced looked pretty happy. <laughs> the Buddha wasn't going around going, it's all pointless, waste of time, nobody here anyway. It was kind of like really powerfully radiant. You know? And people say, whoa, your countenance is bright, your faculties are serene and bright. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. And they're powerful, you know, they're plenty of energy. Because because of that, you know, they cleaned out their systems, they've got plenty of energy. Mm. So then you say, What do you want? Okay, what do you want? And, you know, it's kind of play play with the idea, what do you want? You want a banana? You know, okay, be a banana, good, but why? Because I like that lovely taste. That happy feeling. Okay, you really want the happy feeling, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what's a happy feeling like? A sense of I'm complete, I'm fulfilled, things are... That's good, good. Notice that. sense of I'm fulfilled, I'm complete. Now, it's not going to happen. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen with a banana or even two bananas, but you can get there. <laughs> Because that, that happy sense is in your heart, not in the object. Right? So what does it take? It means you open, you develop receptive, stay steady. And what can you receive that, that isn't going to disappear, isn't going to be taken away from you, like sense objects? What can you receive that isn't going to come and go? Yeah. And you receive things like your own loving kindness. Or your, or your generosity, or your humor, or your intelligence. You start to realize, you know, pick up your own, your own virtues. You know, what do you want? You want to fulfill yourself, don't you? You don't want to have just spent 
60, 70 years on this planet as a kind of bystander, you want to show up. <laughs> yeah? You want to fulfill yourself. Where you feel, yeah, you brought everything out that you could. Now, if that's going to be, you know, being a doctor or driving buses, go for it. Uh, but you're going to find that naturally there's a, you can get happy uh, fulfillment with that, but there's always going to be some kind of negative or it's going to pass or you can't work it. But just giving you a reminder, what you want is that sense of real giving, opening your life, letting go of doubt, letting go of whether you think you're good enough at anything, letting go of that sense of, well, I'm only me, I can't really do anything that's that great anyway, what's the point, other people are much better than I am. Just give, let go of this kind of whingy stuff that drags things down. <laughs> and don't get too serious about it. Yeah, because we can have the great purpose. My purpose is to save humanity. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you going to save it from? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this isn't just an intellectual, ideological. I want to do this. It's a sense of. I want to give my heart fully into into my life, and that's um, I mean, it's going to be interesting. You can, we're going to learn, and everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. Everybody's good enough to start. Everybody's good enough to bring forth their heart into whatever they want to do, and it's the essentially long as it's skillful, not harm, then you notice the heart behind it is the significant thing. Mm. That's chanda. So what do you want? It doesn't matter what you want, really, in terms of objects. You want to be able to say, yeah, I really want to do this. I really want to bring this. And then start. And then direction may change. That's the way you learn. Fear of making the wrong decision. Yeah, well, you know. If you fear of making the wrong decision, you don't make a decision. <laughs> because the future is the unknown. So how can you know it's right until you've made it? So again, you look into the the basis of uh, your your decision making, you know, and is it? So you obviously got the framework of the precepts guiding you. My welfare, other people, other people's welfare. It doesn't harm anyone. It doesn't, you know. Then every decision is going to have so, somewhat right, and probably something not quite right. But if you don't make it, you don't do any determine anything, then your your life just goes into doubt and stagnation.
During meditation, is it okay to allow my body to move back and forth as I feel being pulled by a subtle energy flow? I'll be cautious of that. Um, not saying no, but um, ideally, you know, the body may shift a little bit, but as long as it's shifting towards somewhere where it can settle more fully as if the energy has actually moved around and found a place where it can stabilize so that you you keep sati around that that energy because again when energy starts to flow it's in this involuntary movements it can be a little bit um, giddying and uh, we lose some responsibility. We get too passive. Get too passive. Death practice, death meditation, maranusati. Lumpur Anand says it will help me with anxiety. (laughs) Everybody succeeds at dying. No worries. (laughs) Guaranteed. It's uh, a practice that one is encouraged to do every day uh, <laughs> to, to contemplate and consider one's, one's dying, one's death process as inevitable and what that can signify. I mean, generally, I, end of the day is good because end of the day, okay, it could be tonight you pass away So no, no tomorrow. And it's, it's a good kind of cleaning because then you, you let go of the future. So it brings you back into the present. And then you start to recollect you know, the past and forgive and release anything. So if we're going to die tonight, it's important to tidy up your house internally. Express gratitude. So we leave on a positive note, whatever one has learned, whatever help one has had in this life. And you, when you go to that, you realize, my goodness, there's been a lot, you know, being brought up, born, nourished, looked after, friends, you know, there's been a lot to feel that, you know, it's been, we've lived a miracle, really. So then the gratitude... So then you're really returning into the, to the heart because that's what's going to go with you when the sense faculties fade as they do. Yeah. So um, it may be uh, you know, some of the body awareness softens, awareness of the body softens, uh, visual consciousness subdues, then the thinking mind begins to uh, die down. Hearing is still there. Hearing stays quite a long time. The thinking mechanism begins to give up. So then we're just then you've got no choice anymore. At that time, you know, you're on the slide. There's no, you can't do anything. It's it's now just moving. <laughs> You, know, you can't change direction. 
So it's good to prepare for that time when you are unable to think, know, figure, determine, even remember your own name. So that, that happens. And then you just, in that, and then, so if you can even just consider that, what if there's no tomorrow? What if there's no more seeing him or her? What is it if you leave this house and belongings? Okay. Uh, now, leaving the past behind, whatever's been done, undone, that was that, it was what it was. Uh, picking up what was beautiful, what was helpful, supportive. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So we use our thinking mind as long as it lasts to place the chitta in a, in a fortunate uh, trajectory uh, so that then it will move in that, in, that, in that way. And then the body recedes. Um, body recedes, memory recedes, visual consciousness goes. It can be a subtle, then hearing can stay, stays a little longer. Um, uh, but then even that goes and you're into this chitta sense. And it's um, quite common for that to be a rather beautiful experience. Yeah. Um, people who've had near-death experiences or technically died and been brought back just report how, how kind of mildly euphoric they felt themselves being out of their body. Sometimes they even look down and see their body down there. And they're feeling pretty, pretty, pretty happy. <laughs> you know, there's a sort of lifted sense and luminosity. We have to meet, meet a luminosity, luminosity which maybe we think as God or angels or something. But some basically the energy system, as it as it leaves the the um, this form, the animated form, um, the, the, it seems that the luminosity gathers of the energy system as it leaves the physical form. And then the chitta is in this luminosity until that fades, goes. Anyway, so if you want to do it as a practice, I think it's more important you do it on a regular basis um, rather than just once or twice. If you do it fairly regularly, just as a sense of helping to to let go of the past and to um, and to get familiar with this, so it's, it's, uh, death isn't something to be frightened of. It's ignorance that's really frightening, because <laughs> carelessness, ignorance breeds fear, and if you go into fear and you die in fear, that's bad news. You know, it's bad. So it's not death. You can't do anything about death, but you can do something about ignorance. And often people want to deny death. Don't want it to happen, feel terrified. Then you go into death with fear. You know, you, you, that's, you're just pushing your boat into the ocean of fear. So you let it go, you know. Practice letting it go.
When one becomes too comfortable following walking movements, it becomes hypnotic, monotonous, and the mind becomes dull, not much in the mind. Oh dear, that's not what we want, right? Guess we need to snap out of the monotony and remind ourselves of impermanence, suffering and non-self <laughs> again and again, although we see it. Is this all right or is there a better way? If you're walking, certainly the calming effect and the comfortable rhythmic effect can have a, a soporific effect, same as when we meditate on breathing, can have a the tranquility can become soporific, sleepy, sleep-arousing, or just kind of numbing, drifting along. So we need to sharpen our sati, uh, so, because actually every footstep is different. You know? And with walking, the advantage is, is the, the external body, the external aspect of the body is, is quite available. So you know, the foot touching the ground, and what happens when the pressure of the foot comes down and the muscle feels that and the body rests. So give more attention to the, the external body, tactile impressions, to sharpen up. Mm -hmm. And putting the two together, so body internally, body externally, and then the internal and external coming together. So when we feel that, that nice, balanced, comfortable energy, as you're walking, you're kind of almost pushing that into, pushing that into, the, into the tissues. Like breathe, like walking very fully and completely. So all the weight coming down one leg, lifting the other side, the weight coming down one leg into the ground. So then you bring your the energy of your body into the anatomy and the contact with the ground. That, that helps. The other thing is if you uh, just stop, stand still. Stand still for a while. And that, that breaks the rhythm, but you haven't lost sati. You've just brought your sati to bear upon a standing form. And standing is... It's not soporific because the body knows if you fall, get sleepy, you're going to fall over. So it's, it's automatically kind of uh, gives rise to wakefulness. And you, then you can sweep through your body doing standing meditation until you feel stabilized and you're sharper, more acute, and then pick up walking the differences in the, every footstep and every movement. How do we practice Dhamma in our daily life, especially in a hectic environment? And if you had to go for work, home, responsibility. <laughs> well, oof. yeah. Huge topic. Huge topic. makes meditation so crucial and sort of before you do anything else in the day you do establish some time for this cultivation of citta 
just in terms of you know, sensing that and practicing that and steadying that in your body and ask yourself what what are you doing where are you what are you doing in your life what do you want to do what's the most important thing mm-hmm. ask it a few times because it comes out with an answer is that really it what are you here for you're here to live you're here to to bring forth qualities you're not here to you know, we weren't born to work uh, i mean we weren't born to work we maybe we have to work in order to get our material requisites together but that's got to be um kind of the mean you know secondary to uh, my my life isn't my isn't my livelihood my life is my vitality my integrity my clarity my sense of purpose and meaning and value and i try to you know use that to inform my livelihood uh, we have what's called purification as regards to livelihood there are obvious things we don't don't do for livelihood you know drug running or crime uh, but then even just recognizing you can live a life that's legally okay but is actually really stressful and and taking into you know ways that that don't support your fulfillment that tangle you up or stalemates so you you trying to kind of more you can live simply less you if your material needs go down you've got a lot more leverage on what kind of livelihood you take up so if you don't have many material needs you can you've got a lot more options as to what particular pursuit because you don't have to have so much funds uh, to keep it going so that certainly helps um clearly your relationship with other people and as say so we have to keep putting aside things we've finished with terms of things that may have been useful five years ago you've had enough of it's done it's constant revising and uh, uh, purifying mm-hmm. and then learning satisampajanya as a part of way of life notice when you hectic the word hectic is it possible to take a 10 second pause relax you possible to take a 10 second pause three long out breaths things are getting momentum's building up getting very speedy getting jangled let's take 10 seconds where's my feet where are my hands where's my back where's my breath three out breaths just break momentum break momentum momentum builds up uh, at times I've encouraged you know people to to um, you know, train in this so you like if you all got phones they can a little bleeper on it and it means time to pause that's enough 
or you might structure in, okay, after breakfast, I'll take 10 seconds. Or when I get in the car, before I drive off, I'll get in the car, sit there, put my safety belt on and take 10 seconds. When I get to where I'm going, to my job, park the car, take 10 seconds. Yeah. You know, so it's not much, is it? And generally people would think, what's she doing? Oh, okay. You, you haven't gone far. You may, you know, you, you, they may think you know you're, th- you're remembering something, or, or you know, you just sit there for ten seconds. Yeah. So then you can do something like that. And then if you're at work, it's getting a bit hectic. It's getting a bit hectic. So I just got to go to the bathroom. So people will almost always let you go to the bathroom. And you don't have to say what you're going to the bathroom for. <laughs> and they say, but you've been five times to the bathroom the last time. I say, yeah, I've got, I've got an issue. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they won't ask. They won't ask. They won't ask. <laughs> you go to the bathroom and just sit there. <sighs> Ten seconds. And then you come out, that was quick, that's all right. (laughs) You take a minute, you know. (laughs) So you adopt these little tricks uh, to break momentum. Because if momentum builds up, you're swept along in it, and your sati diminishes, and then you, you say things that weren't useful, or you do things that were clumsy, or you... You say yes when you should have said maybe. <laughs> uh, so it, it does help to, to use that. Uh, okay, clearly this is a huge topic, but that's a few points for today.